Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast is presented by Bones Coffee, the official presenting sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast. Nick, now we've had the coffee. All right. Before we, we lied. We lied. We didn't have the coffee. We thought it was good. Now we've had it. It's delicious as hell. But tell the people why they should be ordering Bones Coffee. I'm going to keep this short because I, you all know I'm a coffee nerd. Uh, let me put you like this. It's smooth and delicious. Yeah. And flavorful. Like you can, one of those three often falls apart when we talk, when you talk about coffee. Folks, my style is I grind beans the moment of, got the hot water going, French press. Mike's got one now because I refuse to let him live that Keurig life anymore. Although the Keurig version of Bones is legit. It's amazing. It's, they, they translate really well. But freshly ground coffee, what Bones is doing with their flavors and their single origin coffees are amazing. And their shipping is fantastic. It gets there quickly. But most importantly, folks, it's great coffee at a great price, but the price gets a little better. Why is that, Mike? That's right. Because if you go to BonesCoffee.com right now, and they've been featured everywhere from Forbes, Women's Health to Hello Giggles, they have all of this fantastic coffee, 12-ounce bags, sample packs, single serve, K-Cups like Nick mentioned. I offered, I ordered, excuse me, the Cinnabon, Sin, S-I-N-N, so a clever play on words there. And I'm telling you, this coffee in the K-Cup machine smells delicious and it tastes good. I am not BSing you when I say this. You go to BonesCoffee.com right now. You order whatever you want. They got gears. They got mugs, apparel, tote bags, hats, in addition to fantastic coffee like Nick just mentioned. And then at checkout, little promo code box. 
type in can we please talk all one word you're gonna get 15 percent off your first order just like that head to bonescoffee.com right now Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the program today, the latest from a subway shooting that just happened yesterday in New York City. Nick and I will discuss what happened on the end line in Brooklyn. Plus, speaking of gun control, President Biden's coming for the guns. Well, the ghost gun kits, at least. More on this latest rule from the Biden administration and DOJ. Plus, later on in the program, L.A. Times congressional reporter Nolan McCaskill will join us. He's going to discuss everything that's happening in D.C. right now. Obviously, Congress is on a little bit of a, a break over the next couple of weeks. But from Katanji Brown Jackson's recent confirmation to some new legislation that's being tossed around by a few members of Congress that may surprise you, Nolan's going to fill us in on all of that. But first, I say hello to Nick Saveri. Nick, uh, obviously, you and I are both uh, New York, New Jersey kids. Uh, how's everything going? I, you heard the news yesterday of what happened with that shooting. Um, how's everything else going besides that before we get into that? It's okay. Honestly, uh, when the news broke, you know, first thought I had was our organization works with a lot of schools actually in the Brooklyn area. Uh, so immediately myself and colleagues were just texting around, just seeing are people good? You know, are people safe? Um, and the fact that we had to do that kind of tells you, A, we're a New York-based business, but B, you know, we're, we're close, you know, we've, we've got people on the ground visiting schools and, and doing incredible work. And the first thing you have in a situation like this is, is where's your people. So we had to immediately just check in. So, and it's just scary. I mean, we'll talk about this obviously more, but um, just how this all came about is it's, you know, it's just pretty frightening stuff. Well, let's get into it because if you, if you haven't been following national news or, or what's been happening uh, in New York City, obviously a gunman wearing a gas mask, firing a nine millimeter handgun. He blasted uh, on the end line of, of New York City, injuring about 22 people. So he started shooting a gun after setting off a, a smoke bomb, it appeared. And he had a bag full of fireworks and some other um, weapons in the bag. I believe as of this taping right now, he is still at large and wanted and, and the police were canvassing about a, a 40 to 50 block radius in the Brooklyn area. And like Nick mentioned, a bunch of schools were on lockdown in that area. I have a friend that works in that area as well at a school district. Her school was on on kind of lockdown just in case. Um, the shooter had a green construction vest and a gray hoodie on, two extended magazine magazines of bullets. He had a Glock 9mm pistol. Um, take a listen to what the police commissioner was updating folks yesterday in a presser about this said. We are truly fortunate that this was not significantly worse than it is. As we reported this afternoon, a man who was traveling on a Manhattan-bound N train opened two canisters that dispensed smoke throughout the subway car. He then shot multiple passengers as the train pulled into the 36th Street station in Sunset Park. 10 people were injured by gunfire and an additional 13 were either uh, injured as the, they rushed to get out of the train station or they suffered smoke inhalation. Some good news is that none of the injuries appear to be life-threatening. As detectives processed the crime scene, they recovered a nine millimeter semi-automatic handgun, extended magazines, and a hatchet. Also found is a liquid we believe to be gasoline, 
and a bag containing consumer-grade fireworks and a hobby fuse. About an hour ago, detectives located a U-Haul van in Brooklyn that we believe is connected to the suspect. Okay, so you heard a little bit there of what was actually happening uh, yesterday as as uh, the media was alerted and Governor Kathy Hochul was there. Uh, obviously, the New York City Police Commissioner was there updating people. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams, who's actually tested positive for coronavirus, was actually not there, but uh, was doing some interviews about this via Zoom. Um, he mentioned that, and I think you texted me about this, Nick, that there's about 10,000 cameras that are in the New York City system across subway lines, platforms, et cetera, you know, where people get out, exit and enter. And about 600 just in that section of that line where the attack happened. And the one camera that could have helped was was not working at the time. Um, you, you can't make that stuff up. I mean, seriously. Um, so police are still searching for this man. Like we mentioned, uh, it looks like this guy had uh, warrants out in a couple other states in Philadelphia and Wisconsin, according to police. Um, so you know, the, the, the NYPD commissioner there, Kichan Sewell, you just heard her there talking about that. Luckily, there's no casualties off of this. Um, there was about 22 total people injured in this attack. Um, we're going to get into President Biden and the ghost gun stuff in a bit. It kind of funnels in. But but I just want to get your takeaways. I mean, I, I take the N train all the time from when I was living in the city, not all the way to Brooklyn. But when I had to go to Brooklyn, obviously, the N train runs to Barclays when you want to go to a Nets game. Uh, shout out to the Nets who are in the playoffs. Um, so very familiar with that line. Um, I can't admit, this happened, you know, 8.52 in the morning, like she mentioned, you know, rush hour right now as offices start to open back up in New York City. Everything is, I wouldn't say pretty much open, but there are a lot of, of uh, companies that have returned to some type of hybrid style, you know, working a two to three days a week. So it could have been way more people on that subway line for sure. If this had been pre-COVID times, um, give me some of your takeaways from from that but presser, and then the situation overall, man, just speaks to you know the ability to to get a gun because this was a registered gun. This wasn't one of the ghost gun kits that we're going to get into. Uh, police have mentioned that they, they've been able to trace the gun to an actual serial number, so this gun was purchased for. Yeah, I mean that's that's the important detail. Honestly, I think the most important thing right now is that there is a person of interest that the New York Times is reporting, and Mike, as you mentioned, you know. Um, with locations in Philadelphia, Wisconsin, uh, stories reporting that you know there was a U-Haul that had been rented in Philadelphia. Potentially, again, this is a person of interest, not a suspect necessarily. So, I think that's the most important thing is that we at least have someone identified. Yeah, as far as the cameras that didn't work, um, you know, my gut reaction is that seems to be endemic in the city. Sometimes um, it's you know one of the most amazing, one of the most expensive cities to live in in the world. Um, and we sometimes can't get it right with infrastructure, and that's a that's a larger national you know problem, uh, hopefully addressed you know by the spending bill that's been passed. Uh, but yeah, now it's guns in America, man, it, it, apple pie and baseball. Like it's not to be cynical, but you know we're reminded constantly. But this isn't the time. I'm not gonna get on a soapbox about this. You all know how I feel about that. And if you have issues with it, obviously call me a lefty, <laughs> call me whatever you want. Hey, uh, by the way, if you do, but, if you do, email us. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com? But because yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get yeah, into absolutely. the gun stuff, especially what what President Biden is proposing. But go ahead, I, I don't want to interrupt your. No, chat, no, I definitely invite conversation back because I where I'm landing. Uh, full disclosure: where I land on this is it is more of not, I mean, access to guns is obviously a huge problem, but also the reality, at least what's occurred to me is you and I are both sensible people, Mike. I am tr trusting of you if if I knew you had a gun and the same of me. So simply having a gun isn't enough. 
there's a larger conversation about what gives people access to guns. And as a country, we still struggle with the fact that it's way too readily available to have access to weapons in this country. And that's that's the ongoing conversation that's leading to what the president's currently doing as it relates to a particular type of weapon. Well, let's get into that. President Biden unveiled a new rule uh, to rein in so-called ghost guns and ban the manufacturing of untraceable firearms a couple of days ago, Nick, as the administration, they face growing pressure to crack down on gun deaths and violent crime in the U.S. Now, if you don't know what ghost guns are, these are privately made firearms. They're not marked with a serial number. It's very difficult for law enforcement to trace when it's used to commit a crime. And, And the DOJ has been trying to figure out a way, you know, in terms of, you know, obviously legislation or, or laws that can pass through congressional methods of figuring out how to kind of close this loophole, because, you know, there's no serial number that traced this. You can buy a kit online on eBay. Funny enough, if if you are paying attention to that case that's happening right now of the woman who wrote a blog about how to kill her husband and then is now charged with attempted murder on her husband. (laughs) She bought a ghost gun kit on eBay. And it was, that's the only reason that they were able to find out that she bought that through there. So anyway, um, let's play some of the press conference from President Biden speaking about uh, this on Monday. Folks, a felon, a terrorist, a domestic abuser can go from a gun kit to a gun as little as 30 minutes. Buyers aren't required to pass background checks because guns have no serial numbers, these guns. When they show up at a crime scene, they can't be traced. Law enforcement is sounding the alarm. Our communities are paying the price, and we're acting. Today, the United States Department of Justice is making it illegal for a business to manufacture one of these kits without a serial number. Illegal. The answer is not to defund the police. It's to fund the police and give them the tools and training to support they need to be better partners and protectors of our communities in need. All right. So you heard there from the president about what the Department of Justice is going to be doing. He also uh, nominated uh, in that presser, uh, mentioned Steve Dettelback. He's a former U.S. attorney from Ohio to run ATF, obviously the Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms Division. Um, real quick on gun deaths, just to give a number in, in 2021, there were 20,726 gun deaths reported in the United States. This is not counting suicides by gun, uh, including 693 mass shootings, which are defined by four people or more being shot. Uh, so 702 people died in that, and uh, more than 2,800 people have been injured in terms of gun shootings in 2021. Also in 2021, according to ATF, there were about 20,000 suspected ghost guns that were reported to the Bureau as having been recovered by law enforcement in criminal investigations. That's a tenfold increase since 2016, according to statistics that were shared by the Biden administration. The Justice Department rule, just for clarification here, you heard President Biden mention it there, but it bans unserialized buy-build shoot kits that individuals can buy online or at a store without a background check, like he mentioned, and can readily assemble into a working firearm in as little as 30 minutes. I think there's like some YouTube tutorials on how to do this. If you go down the rabbit hole of that, I don't recommend it, but they're, like people can build these. Uh, you get these kits and you can build this stuff. If you don't know how to do it, it may take you up to an hour and a half to build one. But once you get the hang of it, I can't believe I'm using that sentence. It, you could do it in as little as 30 minutes. Very 
serious stuff. Um, and there's there's already been uh, some ghost guns that are in circulations that have turned into serialized firearms from that. Nick, we played the the president's uh, comments there. I gave you some statistics. Uh, give me some of your your takes and thoughts as you've been very passionate about this. As I've I as well too. Obviously, I'm I'm close to Parkland, Florida. Uh, the school shooting in Sandy Hook was a few towns away from where I lived in Connecticut. I lived in Bethel, so a few exits up from uh, on I-84. A lot of this stuff, you know, intersects with um, school shootings, mass shootings. I mean, you know, I live in a red state right now. You know, this is open carry. Everybody here has got a gun. You never know if you're arguing with somebody. Uh, but then you get in the blue states, and we just talked about that subway shooting, even though not a ghost gun, but still the person had a firearm and was able to, you know, shoot people, luckily not kill anyone, but shoot people in an open subway, you know, in the middle of uh, of rush hour at 8.52 in the morning. So gun control, uh, what Biden administration is trying to do, some of your your early thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it, it continues to be a problem in this country. You know, we we lead the world in, in gun-related deaths. Um, it's baseball, apple pie, and guns, right? Jazz, right? Like that. This, these are the things that we're we're, we're known for. Um, at the same time, you know, I, I I do argue that it's it's important that we continue to observe the Second Amendment. Um, but there has to be some level of responsibility. Our inability to to enact a sensible um, plan for guns. This is a step in hopefully a better direction. Uh, I I mean. In isolation, it's insane that you can be able to order, you know, equipment, you know, online and be able to assemble a weapon. Folks, it's far harder to register your child for kindergarten, to register a car, hell, to even get a car inspected sometimes. Much more steps, much more arduous. The fact that you can be able to access a or be able to assemble a weapon in your home is asinine. And the president brings up an important point. These are not traceable. There's no serial numbers on these. You're simply buying essentially a puzzle that when assembled can kill someone. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't think there's any, I I can't believe it. I can't believe the point even further. Like it's insane. So it's a question of, you know, what do you do? You know, what do you do? You know, we saw the president, a previous president in in Barack Obama, you know, go to Congress and say, what are we going to do about this? We have, we've had school shooting children like elementary school children congress did nothing so what are we going to see here with this measure yeah more on that in the coming weeks if only we could ask a congressional reporter his takeaways on the biden press conference we got one coming up after the break nolan mccaskill the fantastic reporter over at the la times he covers everything congress he was there for the confirmation hearings front row and center some of his tweets went viral about the interactions of one certain senator from Texas and the theatrics that played out there. We're going to ask him about the Biden administration and and the recent presser on the ghost guns. Nolan McCaskill, after the break. Nick, today's episode of the podcast is presented by the good folks at Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is a foundational nutrition for just about everyone. Nick, what do you know about the healthy stuff over there at Athletic Greens? I actually currently use it. you know, it's funny, uh, a few months back, you know, I made some just changes in my health. So one of the things I did was just redid my breakfast. <laughs> I was just, you know, was going through different, um, you know, powders and protein stuff just to find a healthier way to get started, to get started with my day. Didn't mean for that to rhyme, but I came across athletic, uh, athletic greens and it was just super helpful. Just make a shake in the morning, get my coffee and I feel great. I don't really need anything else for the rest of the morning. And 
weight's coming off. I feel a lot better. I'm starting my days a lot more effectively. So I've, I've just been blown away by the, by the service, just the stuff. And that's the big thing. Like whenever you buy these type of, these type of, you know, shakes and whatnot, you right. gotta look real carefully at the ingredients. And one thing at Athletic Greens does a good job is, you know, they've got 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source nutrients, and all of it just easily available in your blender bottle or however you're mixing it. I tend to be a blender bottle fan myself, so I'm a huge fan. That's it. Well, listen, Athletic Greens is committed to the highest quality ingredients and manufacturing process. Obviously, their AG1 is made in New Zealand at a TGA registered facility. Their philosophy is to focus on a very small number of products based on what the latest science indicates is essential to human health. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free, free Nick, one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do right now is visit athleticgreens.com backslash emerging. There's a link in our show notes page. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. He is back for a second time. He loved the questions the first time we got him. We begged him to come back because he is a fantastic congressional reporter over at the LA Times. And that is Nolan McCaskill. Nolan, Mike Leon, Nick Severi, thank you so much for hopping back on the podcast with us. Thanks for having me back. Nolan, I want to get into a bunch of different things. We were talking off air about journalistic integrity and media literacy. We're going to get into that later on in the the, uh, interview. But the first thing I want to ask you was because, you know, I follow you on social. I know we follow each other and you were posting a lot of the confirmation hearing uh, of uh, Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson. Uh, you were in the room. Can you can you take our audience? Because I watched that on television play out and I watched senators set up props and cards and talking points. And, and then I saw retorts like the one from the senator from Hawaii about you know, justice, I mean, uh, judges that were confirmed during the Trump era that let some pedophilia cases go by. I was like, man, this is awesome. But being in that room, can you take our audience what it was like being inside that confirmation hearing, the absurdities of some of these questions and the talking points, the highs and lows? What was it like being in that room and covering that? Uh, It was tough. So like as a reporter, I'll admit that I'm cheap and like I use Otter to help transcribe things and record. Yeah, that's Otter. I've got three cell phones and I used up all my free minutes on there trying to keep track of the hearings. I was there live listening. I was taking notes. I had C-SPAN on in case I needed to go back and double check something while I was also still trying to listen to what was being said. Uh, This, uh, you know, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for me. I never thought I'd be covering politics, let alone being in the hearing room where, you know, the Senate is conducting an interview basically of the first female, first black female Supreme Court justice uh, nominee. Uh, it was surreal. You know, it was a pretty big room. You see all of the senators, you watch them flow in and out of the room throughout the day. You know, you see their staffs with them. You know, me and a colleague caught Ted Cruz after he grilled uh, Judge Jackson. We caught him checking Twitter <laughs> to see what people were saying about how he performed. Uh, you know, there's a lot that was happening. You know, I enjoyed being in the room. 
very long, just sitting down, listening to the senators in the back and forth for so long, trying to tweet out things that were interesting, maybe things that people weren't able to see on their TV screens. You know, there were a bunch of members of Congress flowing in and out throughout the day. I think people were collecting tickets throughout the Capitol to sit in for a few minutes. Uh, so it's a great experience. Some of the questions were tough. Uh, I thought the judge, you know, was very poised. She showcased her temperament. There were times where she seemed to be frustrated, but, you know, I didn't see many pictures of her looking like an angry Black woman. So I think from that standpoint, it's a victory. Uh, she ultimately got confirmed with three Republican votes, uh, which I thought she, I thought two would be the max. You know, I didn't think that Lisa Murkowski would vote for her because she's up for re-election this year. Thought Mitt Romney was only a maybe, but because he didn't support her last year, I didn't think that, you know, he would support her this time, but I thought he was at least a potential vote for her. So like I ran into Congressman Al Green who attended, you know, some of the hearings uh, for a confirmation. And he asked me after one session ended what I thought, you know, the number was of Republicans she would get. I told him two and to my surprise, she ended up getting three. This feels like an opportunity for FanDuel. Shout out. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I can see as you're talking about this, that there's two things happening. One is, you know, the weight of that moment historically, right? And I'm going to not do my Cory Booker impression here, but huh. so how do you balance just recognizing the importance of what's going on? But then also as a journalist, I mean, you just flash three phones, you know, like a, a more credible Adam Schefter for lack of a better phrase. Um, and how do you also like professionally stay in, th in that same space? It's not to say that they're different, but it, I can see that two things are sort of occurring to you at the same time. Yeah, I mean, still throughout this entire process, throughout even the presidential campaign, when uh, Joe Biden made this pledge to nominate a black woman to the Supreme Court if a vacancy occurred and he was elected president, we knew this moment was happening. Uh, we knew the moment was coming. Uh, we knew after Justice Breyer's announcement that he was going to retire that Joe Biden would name a black woman. Uh, we knew throughout the month long wait or however long it was that Joe Biden was going to name a black woman. We were just waiting to figure out who it was. And then the question is, how many votes can this person get? You know, will COVID affect the ultimate vote? Uh, will Ben Ray Lujan's absence, you know, be a factor and that type of thing? What's the timeline? How soon will the Senate uh, confirm her? Uh, so those were some of the concerns as far as like the history of the moment. Like you, you understand that as a journalist, uh, when I was in the hearing rooms, you know, wasn't really thinking about it unless I was tweeting out some observations. Uh, and I still haven't really taken the time to reflect on the moment. Uh, I think the closest I, I came to when I was scrolling Instagram and there's this page called Ad Embracing Black Culture. Uh, and they posted a bunch of things about Judge Jackson and her confirmation. And one of the slides, uh, somebody had commented on Twitter that journalism is very white. And so I took that opportunity to say it is very white. But, you know, I was in the room, you know, Sung Min right. Kim from the Washington Post was in a room. Uh, a bunch of people were in the room. There was a black person from Punchbowl. You know, I had a photographer who's of Asian descent who was in the room taking pictures. So a lot of us were there, even if you didn't see us. We're all doing great work. We're all helping cover history. So that was really the moment, only moment I really took to reflect. Uh, but I do recognize the importance of the moment. I just have been too in, in, in the moment trying to be present and trying to report what's happening to really just stop and think, wow, you know, this is something that's going to be in the history books. And, you know, I may be in the background of a picture that shows her in the confirmation uh, hearing room. And, you know, this is a justice who looks like me, who has her hair locked like mine, you know, who was getting grilled by senators. I have the privilege to talk to, you know, Monday through Thursday, since they're usually flying back home on Friday or Thursday night. Uh, so very surreal. Uh, it, was, it was great to be in the room and just to be a part of that and absorb it and help sort of shake the narrative and 
you know, talked to so many black women and other members of Congress and other people who were involved in this process of just cheering her on and trying to fight back against partisanship and Republican attacks and all the pedophilia stuff. So it was great to be in that moment. That is great to hear. And I was following a lot of your tweets and obviously you mentioned about one of those uh, incidents with the Ted Cruz thing. There was people that were trying to be like, no, that didn't happen. And then you, you were posting some receipts. Um, I want to get into, you mentioned president Biden in that um, because president Biden obviously uh, recently did the presser on ghost guns and what he wants to do or enact legislation wise with, with respect to ghost guns and what the DOJ is going to do. What do you think of this now that Congress is on this two week hiatus? What do you think of this recent legislation, the presser that happened a, a couple of days ago or yesterday, maybe as of this taping uh, about this legislation? Do you think it has some type of fighting chance? We always know how Republicans are against, you know, getting some type of gun control, gun reform legislation in front of anybody. Uh, and now this is Biden's way of maybe not. It's not about the guns. It's actually about the kids that create the guns. What do you what do you make of this legislation and the, and the recent presser by the president? I, mean, I think Democrats have to push for this. This is something that, you know, their base voters want to see. They want to see action on guns. I mean, we just saw in New York, there was a there was another gun incident today. You know, we remember the Sandy Hook tragedy and the tragedy of so many other places and schools where students are being harmed. I couldn't imagine having to go through these drills that students nowadays are having to go to. Uh, and, you know, just the difficulty of whether you feel safe at a place that you're at for eight or so hours a day trying to learn. But when it comes to legislation, I'd be skeptical that Congress would do anything. We've seen in these moments, Congress pushes, Congress talks, you know, Congress may even debate, Congress votes. And at the end of the day, nothing really changes. I don't think that there's anything that should, that should suggest that this dynamic will be different. I think Republicans right now are focused on taking back some power, whether it be the House and or the Senate in 2022. I don't think, you know, pissing off their voters by trying to pass any type of gun reform is a good strategy on their part, even if it may be beneficial for the country and help save lives. Is there a chance that Biden may think or potentially take a different path? Because we know, obviously, with former President Obama, um, you referenced Sandy Hook. You know, the action there was to then bring us before Congress and that common sense hopefully would have prevailed. Obviously, it didn't. But is there the potential that the president may go the different route of potentially exploring executive action? There's a lot. There's a lot of pressure on Biden to start using his pen more. I know uh, a lot of different groups within Congress have met with the president recently. They've been pushing him to take action. Progressives want to see him take action. The Hispanic caucus wants to see him take action. The Black caucus wants to see him take action. The question is, will he actually do this? Or, you know, is the former senator someone, you know, who preaches bipartisanship? Does he want to see Congress move on these issues? And so, so far, it seems like he wants to put it in Congress hands and let Congress legislate while he remained an executive. Uh, but he is facing a lot of pressure. You know, I was at, a, at an event with a bunch of senators with Black press maybe two weeks ago. And Chuck Schumer and Liz Warren were, you know, telling us to tell everybody to push Joe Biden on uh, student loan debt relief because he can do that with his pen. So they were saying, you know, the way forward is just to pressure Joe Biden to call the White House, to email the White House to make this an issue because, he, you know, he hasn't completely made up his mind on it. Uh, but I think he's feeling, you know, similar pressure on a range of issues. You know, Congress is a place where there are a lot of ideas and not really as much legislation that pans out and gets passed and becomes law. Uh, and so, you know, President Biden does have the opportunity to use his pen. But then again, you know, once he's out of office, the next president could potentially revoke it. It could do could go through court challenges, you know, not ever actually take effect. So 
very murky area. A lot of people have their positions on, you know, how much authority the president really has when it comes to his executive orders. And so the best path forward usually is through legislation, but with a divided government, oh, it's not, not really divided since the Democrats are in power, but with such narrow majorities, you know, it's hard to really accomplish much, especially on such a, a divisive issue. Well, I want to stay on uh, Congress for a second because I was listening to a podcast recently, uh, one from one of the news outlets, and they were talking about immigration reform and that there are some two senators, one Democrat, and one Republican that are trying to work on something from an immigration reform standpoint and two from like states that this really impacts. So I was a little bit shocked to hear some of that. And it was from an advocate that was talking about the Trump era policies that are that the Biden administration may get rid of in terms of migrants and, and, and COVID being sent back. So I wanted to ask you, um, what are some bills or pieces of legislation that you're hearing as you wander these congressional halls that they are working on? Maybe some bipartisan one, maybe one that a, a Democrat is introducing, a Republicans introducing. Obviously, we just talked about, you know, you know, President Biden on the ghost guns, but this immigration legislation, anything in the voting rights category. What are you hearing about something that maybe could get talked about in the in the summer months as we head towards the midterms? Um, our report hasn't focused much on immigration. Uh, recently, what I've just been hearing is, you know, Democrats divided when it comes to the Title 42 policy uh, at the border and whether to allow migrants, you know, seeking asylum into the country. That's been the biggest issue. Uh, President Biden took some executive action on that. Well, not executive action, but the CDC announced that that would be revoked, revoked I think, later in May. Uh, and some Democrats are upset, uh, particularly some vulnerable Democrats who are up for re-election uh, in 2022, as well as, you know, the typical Joe Manchin and uh, Kirsten Cinema. So right now, that's the biggest issue on immigration, just Democrats divided on where they stand on that policy. And Republicans, of course, are continuing to, you know, repeat their, their rhetoric about Joe Biden and open borders and the dangers, you know, re- revoking that policy would do for the country and how there'd be a surge of migrants that the country isn't ready to handle. Uh, just given that political environment, I would be skeptical that any bipartisan agreement that's related to immigration that's that significant would come from that just because of the political environment. Joe Biden's poll numbers are still bad. Republicans still want control. Republicans want to talk about the border. Democrats traditionally don't want to talk about the border. You know, the Republicans are always saying Joe Biden, Kamala Harris should go to the border and do events there. Obviously, they haven't. You know, it's not really an issue. They want to focus on right now and the economy is also not doing uh so hot you know we got the numbers the latest numbers on inflation i think it's at a 40-year high uh so i'll just be very skeptical that there's any political will or any even timing to you know pass something major on immigration uh congress has a lot of recess time scheduled over in the, you know, the next few months heading into the november election so you know right now they're focused on a competes bill they're trying to do something with uh, permanent normal trade relations with Russia uh, and Ukraine and like a couple of other issues. So just with all those things on his plate and the pace that the Senate moves at, I just would be very skeptical that, you know, out of the blue, some deal on, 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 on immigration would come. Actually, speaking of, of Russia and Ukraine, Nolan, in, in the halls of Congress, what is the conversations that you're hearing? Because you know, through television, obviously, some of these more political programs, you know, there's sometimes a split where we're having openly, you know, American-based television shows, you know, talking about, you know, both siding this with Russia and Ukraine. In Congress, is there more of a just 
I guess, for lack of a better phrase, more of an honest conversation about what's going on with Russia and, and our response currently to the to the, to the um, invasion? Yeah, I think early on, uh, both parties were trying to score points about President Biden's strategy regarding whether it was the better decision for Joe Biden to wait to impose sanctions. So after Russia invaded or whether he should have done something before then to try to prevent an invasion. Uh, but since that moment, you know, you've seen President Zelensky speak to Congress. Uh, there's been a lot more unity and bipartisanship when it comes to Russia and Ukraine. You know, there was the anomaly of former President Trump, you know, calling what Putin was doing genius. Uh, but, you know, all the other Republicans on Capitol Hill, except for maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene and some people, you know, on the far right, they, you know, seem to be working well with Democrats. You know, their rhetoric is in line with the country. This is traditionally an issue where it should be country first, not party first. You know, you want to be an ally to Ukraine. You want to sympathize with what's going on there. You want to make sure that, you know, the U.S. is able to provide proper resources and equipment, but you also want to make sure that the U.S. doesn't get pulled into war and have to, you know, fight Vladimir Putin's army and, you know, potentially provoke a nuclear war that could claim, you know, many, many lives. So it's tough to watch the news every day and see what's happening in Ukraine and, you know, people wish they could do something, you know, members of Congress are going to the Polish border uh, with Ukraine and back and taking trips there. You know, they're constantly being updated and briefed on what's happening. Uh, but this has been a rare moment of uh, bipartisanship on, on, on Capitol Hill with this issue. No, I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, because last time you were on the pod, you mentioned that you've been trying to do some interviews with Republican congressional members and it wasn't going so hot. And then Madison Carthorn comes out with the orgy stuff. And then obviously Marjorie Taylor Greene does her stuff. And then you got Lauren Boebert doing her stuff. I wanted to ask you to an outsider that um, is is watching this play out on television to the people that hear this stuff or read these tweets. But you see these people, you see their interactions with other uh, folks on the Hill, like what, what does that look like to everybody? Are these people being disingenuous? Is this the way they truly feel? What is it like covering? Because you wrote recently about Marjorie Taylor Greene in the context of, you know, Ketanji Brown Jackson and, and how Marjorie Taylor Greene was chastising the Republican senators that voted for the confirmation on the pedophilia stuff. Like, what is it like covering some of that? Because we talk about it a lot on the show. And as a former Fox guy, I know what disingenuous kind of sounds like and looks like. And I feel like some of that is disingenuous, but to to the person who's there day to day and sees these people up close and personal, what's your read on that? So when I'm outside the House chamber, when members are going in and out to vote, you know, you see Marjorie Taylor Greene go in, you see Lauren Boebert go in. Uh, they're usually talking to colleagues, you know, they're not isolated and, you know, being stared at like, oh, oh my gosh, here she goes again. You know, it's very collegial even though a lot of Democrats and Republicans have a lot of tension, especially after January 6th. Uh, but when I do see them, I don't really, you know, see them feeling isolated. It does sort of feel like they're kind of playing a role of playing to the base or just trying to adopt the Trump playbook and, you know, generate attention, generate, you know, retweets, generate TV hits, generate fundraising and, you know, potentially parlay that into something bigger outside of, of you know, a seat in Congress. Um, what you just alluded to about uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene's comments on the Supreme Court and saying that, the Republicans in the Senate who supported her also support, you know, child pedophiles. You know, I asked Susan Collins about that, and she was laughing before I even finished the question. And it was basically arguing that it's soft base. That's not the kind of uh, rhetoric that Republicans should have in the party. It's not healthy dialogue. And uh, she said, unfortunately, it was the you know kind of thing that she expects from someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene. 
Uh, but outside of that tension between, you know, a senator defending herself from a Republican who attacked her for her vote of conscience, uh, it doesn't really seem like they're isolated within the Republican caucus. But I know that uh, Kevin McCarthy is facing a lot of pressure to keep them in line and to keep them quiet. But, you know, they come from the Trump ring of the party. You know, they know how to generate press. They know that, you know, a news value is unusualness. And when you say crazy things, you know, people write about it. People call you out about it. You get the clips played on TV, you know, you're able to fundraise off it. Uh, so it just seems like, you know, they've learned from Trump's playbook and they've used it to their advantage. And the way districts are drawn nowadays, it's hard to see them losing a primary unless there's a further right candidate that people like even more. So, you know, unless the lines change in another 10 years, it's difficult to, you know, stop them from doing whatever they're doing. You know, members will often say, if you don't want them in Congress, then the key is to vote them out. And I don't think that Voters in those districts aren't ready to do that yet. Ladies and gentlemen, I think it's important that you all pick up a very important distinction what Nolan just said. And unless I'm wrong on this, our friend and journalist also brought up the evils of gerrymandering <laughs> and how we're carving up districts, uh, George being a really good example <laughs> of that. Um, Nolan, I think you just said something that's critically important about you know what we're seeing from some of the most vocal and cartoonish, for lack of a better phrase, members of the, of the Republican Party, that in in a reg, in a setting in Congress, what your observation is that they're not necessarily about that life. It seems like it may be more of like for the sake of cameras and Twitter, social media. But there's almost an element of professional wrestling that like what's being put out, you know, for media for our consumption as citizens isn't necessarily. It's not necessarily who they are. It, it, that potentially may be a portrayal. You mentioned Trump. That may be the best example because we're the, the book's still out on how much of that nonsense did he actually subscribe to or did he just say what would get the masses interested? Yeah, this very subject sort of came up during the Supreme Court confirmation hearings. I think it was Ben Sass who called out some of his colleagues when he was asking Judge Jackson about just the presence of cameras in the Supreme Court room if she were to be if she were to make it to the Supreme Court, because obviously, as we saw on our TV screens and as, as I was able to see in person, you know, people change when the cameras come out. You know, Ted Cruz, when he it was his turn to speak, you know, he raised his voice. He got loud. You know, he interrupted. You know, he made a spectacle with uh, Dick Durbin, the chair of the committee. Uh, same thing with Tom Cotton. He was aggressive in his questioning. Uh, uh, Marshall Blackburn, I believe, was, you know, asking Judge Jackson to define what a woman is. So, you know, there is. I guess uh, Ben Sass sort of, you know, highlighted the fact that when the cameras are out, people seem to be playing a role. People are trying to raise money. People are trying to get their profile out. And, you know, that's what we see on our TV screens. That's what we see in the news reports. But just in everyday life, when you see members of Congress walking across the Capitol, going to get lunch, going to vote or do whatever, you know, they don't seem to be those characters unless there's a big scrum of reporters around them asking questions. Then maybe you'll see some of what you see on TV. Maybe you'll see some of what you see on Twitter. But just typically throughout their everyday role, just watching members interact with each other, you don't really, you don't see, you know, the the roles that they seem to be playing outside of Congress. He is a fantastic reporter over at the LA Times. Follow him on social media. You can see him shooting jumpers at 530 in the morning, <laughs> or you can see him getting on Air Force One to, to cover the president. Uh, Nolan McCaskill, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Continue success, my friend. Keep keep pounding the drum and, and, and keep doing great work over there at the LA Times. Thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me again. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. 
You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. All right. That was a fantastic Nolan McCaskill. Thank you to him. Nick is, as we're recording this, we're watching uh, an NBA playoff game that Nick uh, doesn't have the remote for and is lazy and won't get the remote <laughs> to put it on. I'm getting it's, ticker updates on it's, you know, on, it, the, on this app. It's fine. It, it's his team. He doesn't have the game on. This is what I'm talking about with Nets fans. This is why I said this on Instagram the other day. There <laughs> is no guy. such thing. You won't even watch the game. The TV remote is right there. We're going to move off that because we're going to leave that. to be a professional, man. <laughs> Email us. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com? Is Nick a real Nets fan? Yes or no? And I should get a bunch of no's and we'll read them next time. Uh, because we like even- 15 minutes from the, from the Brendan Burn Arena. I go back to that's that. Shout out to and Petrovich. Don't, don't come for me. Don't come for me. Don't come as, for this. As we wrap here, uh, thank yous again to Nolan McCaskill. N- uh, Nick, a quick thought on s- some of the stuff that Nolan talked about and, and what's happening on Congress and the professional wrestling that's playing out every day yeah. as our senators and, and House of Representative members do this. You're you're hitting on, I think, the most important thing. You know, I there I asked Nolan a question because he made reference to what you were talking about before, you know, previous episode, you know, on our show, you know, he wanting to talk to these far right um members of Congress. And then what we find is that for strident as they are on television, social media, and saying the most outlandish things, that in the chambers of Congress, they seem relatively like normal people. And yeah. and there's a wondering here of is this just the role that they play? Mike, you and I talked about Tucker Carlson often about your experience, you know, with some of his people. Um, I think of him, you know, back to crossfire and that, and I have all kinds of issues with him. But there's definitely something about a character that's being played up. And, and when Nolan mentioned that, it was important that we bring up the fact that this plays into and this speaks to a narrative that we've noticed from the like our third episode when we had our first guest on the show about the persona that some of these people play, especially on the right, just to get attention. But is that really necessarily that person as a voter, as a member of Congress? We don't really know. I think Nolan brought up an important point is that they seem civil in the House of Congress. So either they're playing a role or members of Congress aren't calling them out on their bullshit. Yeah, listen, just to keep it fair, I would say there's some members on the left too that I have heard them in pressers say one thing and then they vote a different way or even mm. look how it played out with President Biden's State of the Union and look how many retort speeches there were from members on the Democratic side of the aisle. It's like well, we've talked about this. The, there's one the squad retort. is on their squads on their bullshit. Like that's it, I mean, that's how it is. It's unbelievable. Anyway, as we wrap here, a thank yous again to Nolan McCaskill. Check him out. L.A. Times. Follow him on social media. Speaking of people you should follow on social media, you can follow Nick and I on, on Twitter, on Instagram. We're pretty good follows, although Nick is a little crazy on Twitter. But for this show, IG, TikTok, Twitter at Can We Please Talk Podcast at Twitter at Can We Please Talk. YouTube, you want to watch the video clips of all of our interviews, you can check out Nolan's uh, beautiful face and also his LA uh, Times hoodie that, that hoodie Nick is wants. sharp, man. That, that hoodie, hoodie is, sharp. is sharp. It is sharp. Check it out on YouTube. Thank you to ACAS, our hosting platform. We couldn't do it without not only ACAS, but the support that each and every one of you that listens to this program or watches this program 
uh, contributes to us. So thank you so much. We couldn't do it without you. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And who I am on Twitter is who I am in real life. I'm Nick Sperry. Thank you for listening. See you next time, everybody. On a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 